Welcome to Into the Colaverse, a podcast that takes us on the unique journeys of faculty in the College of Liberal Arts at UT Austin. Join me, your host, Frederick Luis Aldama, as we learn of the many ways that our faculty and their cutting-edge work is transforming the world today. It is my great, great honor to be here in Into the Colaverse with Jorge Perez, Peter T. Flan, Centennial Professor and Chair in Chair of the Department of Spanish and Portuguese. Welcome, Jorge. Uh, thank you, Frederick. Happy to be here. Jorge, your your work on Spanish cinema uh, from Spain, the um, culture, fashion, your also your very important work on the Latin American road movie, um, very significant in shaping the field of cinema studies globally. I wonder, was there an Almodovar film? Was there, what was, what, what was it? At what point did you realize you wanted to study, research, write, and teach on cinema? Well, they were, all the Almodovar films growing up. I grew up in Spain and growing up watching Almodovar's films were like a revelation. You can imagine a little boy in a provincial town uh, of Spain coming out of the dictatorship. And obviously his movies were, a you know, a breath of fresh air and shocking and interesting in many ways. But at that time, I didn't really think I would become a professor of film studies or that I would study his films. I was just fascinated. And in fact, I'm kind of a little bit of a convert into film studies because my PhD was on literature, on Spanish literature. And it was later after my graduate work that I kind of switched my research and teaching interest to film studies. So, but yeah, Almodovar was always there uh, guiding me, <laughs> definitely. Jorge, tell for some of our listeners that may not know, there is a very rich tradition of cinema in Spain, different periods, you know, um, also very significantly impacted by different historical epochs, uh, social, political climates. Would you mind being kind of patiently walking us through um, these different periods of Spanish hist uh, of cinematic history? Absolutely. Um, well, the history of Spanish cinema in the 20th century was definitely impacted and influenced primarily by the political events and the the Civil War first that kind of destroyed the. The, the the booming uh, film industry in the 1930s in Spain, and then the dictatorship of Francisco Franco from uh, 1939 until 1975 kind of dominated and, and, and shaped the film industry because most of the films that were made in Spain during those four decades were pro-regime commercial cinema that sort of um, endorsed the values of the regime or uh, dissident cinema by uh, filmmakers uh, as important as Luis Buñuel or Carlos Saura, Asilio Martín Patino, who uh, they made movies that were really attacking the values of the regime, oftentimes in an indirect, 
very symbolic way because they they needed to pass censorship. So kind of that Spanish cinema was uh, uh, for like 40 years, it was either pro-regime films or dissident films. Until Franco dies, Spain becomes a democracy. And of course, we have a new cohorts of young filmmakers who start to make different kinds of uh, cinema, like Pedro Almodóvar would be like the most famous one, the most recognized globally. And of course, they start to make uh, genre films. They start to like adjust or or to converse with uh, filmmaking uh, trends and genres in other uh, national cinemas in Hollywood. So. Spanish cinema after the dictatorship definitely became much more diverse, more interesting, more uh, formally um, accomplished. And I would say that uh, nowadays we have a you know established industry. In fact, lately what's happened is that in the last 10 years or so, thanks to the uh, push of the platforms, especially Netflix, it has really revitalized the Spanish film industry and the media industry. Uh, in fact, Netflix six years ago opened a brand uh, like st studios in Madrid. So they're making their own films and their own uh, TV series over there in Spain with Netflix money. It has really, really uh, changed uh, in a good way the possibilities for the uh, film and media industry in Spain. So that's kind of sort of like a trip or trajectory of the history of Spanish cinema in the last hundred years or so. Yeah, really fascinating. Um, and of course, world cinema, different different nations have their own so stories of oppression, repression, and censorship. Um, tell me a little bit about Nun films. I know you write about this in a book, Confessional Cinema, um, the 1960 up to 75, right when Franco, you know, um, has to, you know, when Franco's gone, right off, you know, finally, uh, literally gone. Um, what is, what are, what was going on there? And how did that maybe help or mirror reflect? the modernizing, say, if you will, of culture, the secularizing of of um, Spain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, talk a little bit about that work, yeah. Yeah, well, that was a project in which I, you know, religious cinema was very important during the Franco dictatorship because it was a dictatorship based on fascist political views, but also with a strong uh, Catholic backbone. So the regime uh, financed, endorsed, and really promoted the making of uh, religious cinema or cinema that would obviously uh, suggest or encourage people to become more religious and pro-Catholic church. What happens is that in the 1960s, there was a boom of comedies about nuns. Uh, and funny enough, even though these were supposedly pro-regime films, upholding the views of the regime, the conservative views of the regime, I noticed, and that's why I started studying this sort of genre or sub-genre, how these non-films were also vehicles to um, sort of promote the modern modernization of Spain in the late Franco period, but also the switch or 
let's say, new changes in gender uh, uh, issues in Spain. Obviously, during the Franco dictatorship, women were very oppressed. They were uh, uh, pushed to the domestic space, were not encouraged to work in, or to participate in the public sphere. And these films were actually doing the opposite. They were showing these very active, these very entrepreneurial nuns who would solve the problems in their congregation and also train or, or help women succeed in society. So I noticed how these supposedly conservative films were in fact sort of uh, uh, suggesting this new Spain that was becoming. Franco was still alive, but the society was changing towards becoming modern and towards the democracy. So what I did in my book is to uh, suggest how uh, we should stop assuming that anything that has to do with the Catholic Church was immediately conservative and anti-modern. That was what how it was always being approached, because it was quite the opposite. The Catholic Church, especially after the Second Vatican Council in the mid-60s, became uh, really a force of modernization in Spain and elsewhere. So it was actually the institution that really helped society to get past the, the Franco conservatism. So that, that's kind of what I studied in this subgenre of, of non-films. Absolutely fascinating, Jorge. And of course, 75 um, is a kind of marker. Um, I don't know if it's arbitrary or not. I mean, that's when Franco dies, but it's also the marker of this sort of La Movida, the countercultural movements uh, in Spain. And of course, the flourishing of, of a cinema that had been um, repressed for so long. Um, would you, and in your book, do you uh, talk then about the non-films as being a kind of paving the way to this? I do. Um, and the book covers the period between 1960 and 1975, so the late Franco years. And as you know, sometimes we put this arbitrary uh, temporal frames for our books because we had to end, begin and end in the place. And we also have to demonstrate knowledge about a certain period. Um, but I do talk in this chapter on non-films, I do talk about how these films paved the way for, in fact, there is a very uh, famous uh, non-film of the 60s that was used by Almodovar in one of his 80s movies, Entre Tinieblas. It's a movie about uh, a convent. And, and if you've seen the movie, you remember, it's a convent of very uh, eccentric nuns. And there was some, um, and, and that movie end, and the later movie, La Maleducación, there are specific scenes. There are a direct, not, I wouldn't say copy, but an homage to these non-films of the 60s. So actually in my book, I do, I do analyze that or make that comparison, how these uh, commercial and low budget films of the 60s really were then revisited by the great directors of the post-democratic uh, post period because they recognized the cultural value that they had. Yeah, so important, all the layers uh, that you know, many might not even know about with the Almodovar and the, the, the illusions and the homage and the, of the cinema that had come before. Um, Jorge, tell me, um, 
we have in 2021, you're fashioning Spanish cinema, costume identity, and stardom. And you put together film and fashion, which of course, you know, makes sense. And in fact, I'm surprised more of this hasn't been done, um, but especially as it shapes and influences industries, how it shapes ideas, values. Um, and there are some actors that some of us are more familiar with, maybe Penelope Cruz, maybe others that you talk about. Um, but also red carpet events like the Oscars and Goya. But yeah, tell us about this connection uh, between film and fashion. Well, it's something that has always fascinated me. Obviously, part of our fascination with cinema comes with the glamour of the Oscars, the red carpet events, or, you know, stardom. Uh, but I did notice while I was working on my book on religion in the late Franco period cinema that, uh, well, I became fascinated with the movie by Almodovar, Broken Embraces, Los Abrazos Rotos, and the use of the uh, Chanel uh, 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 outfits by Penelope Cruz in that movie, actually. And then I, I started to make connections how Almodovar had used Chanel or, or outfits or, or, you know, um, suits from the house of Chanel in other movies. And I said, well, this is not a coincidence. Obviously, there's a fascination with that particular fashion brand and why. And, I, and then I started thinking, no one has studied this, not much. And of course, I started to read just for fun, thinking that I would do like an article project, you know, after I was done with my book. And started to read a little bit about fashion theory, about uh, fashion, uh, uh, the connection between fashion and film. And, and of course, by the time I finished my book and I got to that project that I thought it was already a book project, because I, I started to get so much material and became so interested about this. There's so many facets of the connection or the intersections between the industries of film and fashion. And then how that gets uh, in a movie uh, and as costume design, because obviously we have the fashion industry and the film industry, but then the connection between both of them is, is also through just how characters in a movie are dressed and that's costume design not necessarily fashion. So I, I thought there is so much here to explore. And of course there had been some work done in the context of Hollywood and some of the national cinemas like Italy or France, but absolutely nothing or very little in the context of Spanish or Latin American cinema. So I thought, you know, I've got a whole world to explore here. And that's how I got interested in, in that book project. Jorge, tell me um, if this ventured into the area as well uh, with, I don't know, people like Antonio Banderas and many of us know um, him actually, you know, for his work in the Almodovar films, um, and then he crossed over um, in, in, into Hollywood, or Javier Bardem, or others. Was there also, I mean, is fashion and kind of gender or masculinity or constructions of a kind of Latin lover also part of this? Um, absolutely. Uh, at least two of the chapters of the book, I uh, I focus in those chapters on how um, costume design and or fashion uh, 
becomes a very powerful uh, uh, channel or strategy to construct, reconstruct, or deconstruct uh, cinematic identities related to gender, sexuality, race, and so on. Uh, in fact, I devote one whole chapter to studying the evolution of the representation of male underwear in Spanish cinema, beginning with the early Franco cinema all the way to the present. And what I do there is by studying the evolution of the representation of underwear in film, I sort of read that as also a representation of the evolution of gender and masculinity in Spanish society from the Franco rigid masculinity codes all the way to, you know, current contemporary more fluid versions of masculinity and gender in Spain. So yeah, absolutely. And part of that chapter is studying the very iconic um, 80s movies uh, with Antonio Banderas as sort of the male hunk of Spanish cinema. And then the first main movie that Javier Bardem made in Spain, which was uh, Jamón Jamón by Vigas Luna, and his very iconic uh, uh, scene in which he was in the underwear, sort of representing an over-the-top macho ibérico uh, through his uh, very uh, vintage underwear. So that became an iconic uh, scene in Spanish cinema. So, so yeah. I, um, I do study those main figures of uh, Spanish cinema, but in this chapter, actually, in the way they were dressed underneath their clothes, their underwear—amazing! Mm. Yeah, it's um, oh boy, um, so much to talk about there, Jorge. Um, but let me let me move us along. Um, what another area that I know you've been very invested in, and that has a long tradition, of course, going back to Cervantes is the picaresque um and well you've published a, a a volume on latin american road movies with uh, a co-editor um veronica gariboto and i just wonder you know spain the picaresque the the road narrative if you will and then of course latin american cinema and the road film can you enlighten us a little bit? Why why is this somehow situated in these different um, cultural, sociopolitically shaped spaces? Is there something there? Absolutely. Um, my interest in road movies actually started initially just in the context of Spain. My first book was actually on road movies and road novels uh, from Spain. And then, of course, at the time, there was a boom in road movies in Latin America too, you know, beginning in the late 1990s, all the way to today. So when I was doing that book, I wanted to also do a crossover project with Latin America, but I didn't quite dare to do it on my own because I'm a primarily a peninsular scholar. You know, I study Spain mostly. So I wanted to do it in collaboration with an expert in Latin America. Luckily, in my previous institution prior to UT, I was for 13 years a professor in the University of Kansas, and I had a colleague there who is an expert on Argentine cinema, Veronica like Gariboto. So I convinced her to come along and do that project together. I was absolutely fascinated yeah, by the road movie genre, which is originally a US-centered uh, genre. You know, it's a very popular genre in the US cinema, in Hollywood, not necessarily in Spain, definitely, 
or Latin America until recently, even though, like you mentioned, really the precursors of this genre uh, was uh, first of all Don Quixote, you know, like the proto road <laughs> road story or road uh, narrative, and then the also the picaresque uh, novel. Uh, those are two, and even the uh, scholars who study road movies in the context of the U.S. they recognize those two as you know some of the original road narratives. So obviously, Spain had a tradition already in literature. And then, so I became interested, why wasn't there any road movies really, or very few before the 1980s and 1990s? Well, because Spain became modern very late because the, you know, the booming of the uh, roads, the, you know, the infrastructures were not there uh, for people to travel, uh, but, but in the, you know, through the road. So I became interested in why later that happened. And the context of Latin America, I think is fascinating because you know, obviously it's a different uh, social political uh, scenario, but I, I believe that in the, in the last couple of decades, there have been a boom in Latin American role movies in all countries. And, you know, some of them were like actually very prominent with a lot of international visibility, Oscar uh, nominated or, or nominated or even got some Oscars like uh, Central de Brazil from Brazil, uh, Motorcycle Diaries. I mean, some of them, or Itumama Tambien from Mexico. There's some of them were the global hits. So, you know, I convinced my colleague that we needed to bring together a group of scholars who are experts, all these different national cinemas from Latin America. And that's how that collective volume uh, took, uh, took form. And I'm so happy I convinced my colleague to do it because, you know, it was fascinating probably to work. I learned so much just from reading the work of people working on road movies from countries I would have never thought of as producing road movies like Puerto Rico. You know, it was fascinating to learn, learn about Puerto Rican road movies. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really important uh, volume collection. And of course, we do collections, volumes like that. Uh, to to get the coverage and uh, you know remarkably you know um, kind of lay the groundwork for an area of study that might not have been there before. Yeah, absolutely fascinating and of course um, close to my heart. Uh, when I wrote uh, my Maxine book, um, you know, y tu mamá también, of course, being the road novel and the kinds of pressure cooker situations as well that being on the road. Um, bring out in the characters, right? That other, other spaces, bigger spaces in cinema tend not to to do. Let me ask you, uh, Jorge, um, as we begin to wind this down, um, there these these really important, not just genre, but also maybe less less centrally located maybe understood as ancillary shaping devices like music uh, in cinema. We've already talked about fashion, um, but music. Um, and maybe we can use that as a way to segue into a piece you wrote on celebrity and fashion and this convergence uh, or a brave new convergent world. I know you mentioned Netflix already as being a significant shaper of that. But yeah, music as part of this convergence culture that's happening. 
Absolutely. Well, that piece is actually part of my new project. That I'm, you know, the pro it's a project on celebrity culture in Spain, but with an eye on Spain and connections with the global media industry. And it, quite, uh, the, the music part was not originally in the project until recently when they invited me to write about this um, a global phenomenon, this uh, Rosalia, this Spanish singer who is making a splash in the US and music industry and elsewhere. And then I started to think more of the music industry as part of this convergent uh, culture, even though I was initially not planning on doing that because I like I'm already touching on so many things that <laughs> I don't want to continue to diversify my pro portfolio even more. But I guess now I am working on that. And of course, I'm beginning to uh, learn that the music industry has diversified a lot and it has changed a lot since the days that I knew the industry more like 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And of course now no one is releasing or buying albums. Now it's all, you know, Spotify and the artists have to sell themselves and market themselves and reach out in so many different ways using social media. I mean, that's, actually the main thing nowadays they don't have a social media presence and a smart social media presence they're nobodies so so yeah i'm beginning to study that in, in in the context of music but also also cinema and television and how uh, all these industries cinema television uh, fashion and social media they all work together we cannot understand movie movie stars or music stars uh, without understanding how they work in this synergetic uh, sort of ecology composed of all these industries and all these media. They're no longer just the star of one media or the other. All these industries, all these media are together. And it's fascinating, but it also makes our task of studying this phenomena very complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the convergence and emergence as a rich area for us to insert our scholarly lens, but also, as you just pointed out, it also means that we need to do our homework, our due diligence, and understand how music itself works, understand how fashion works, uh, along with the kind of visual um, you know, silver screen movie making imaginary. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Jorge. Um, we, you mentioned Netflix and this kind of renaissance of the globalizing of Spanish cinema today. Tell me, um, what are some Netflix shows we should be paying attention to? Um, so what are you watching now? Oh, right now I am watching a not very good show. <laughs> it's called Entrevías. It's a Spanish show on Netflix, actually. Uh, and I watch, I'm watching it because I have to, because I have to watch every single release or a sort of new show, new movie that gets released in there. But it's not very good. The one I recommend is one called Intimidad, Intimacy. It is also from Spain. It is also Netflix. It was recently released. And it's interesting, A, because it has really good production values. And B, 
because uh, it talks about the issue of um, in invasion of privacy. It's a show. It's a, it's one of those uh, short series with like six episodes, and that's it. There's not going to be a second season. It's about a politician in the north of Spain in Bilbao who is going to become the mayor of the city, and there is a sexual video of her that gets released without her consent, and it becomes a public scandal. So it's a show that talks about very contemporary issue, like the issue of you know, invasion of privacy, uh, the use of social media, and it was really well made. And, it, and I think it's a show that I would recommend that show to a lot of people. It's called Intimacy on Netflix, Intimidad in Spanish. It's obviously in Spanish, but they also have the subtitles or even the English uh, translation or dubbing. So much richness, Jorge, that you have shared here. I know you also bring this into your classroom spaces, students working with you on, gosh, not just Spanish, uh, peninsular, um, Ibe-American um, cinema, but also video games and detective fiction and trans-feminist movements. Um, you've taken us on a small journey. We've gone from Cervantes to Banderas underwear to, uh, <laughs> you know, the importance of, of music in the shaping of cinema um, and the sort of global phenomena that is Netflix, uh, you know, in spaces that have traditionally been kept out of global markets, out of the reach of viewers across the world. Jorge, I just want to say thank you for taking the time and thank you for all that you do. Thank you for having me here. It was a pleasure to talk to you about my work. Into the Colaverse is produced by the University of Texas at Austin's College of Liberal Arts. Sound engineering by the Liberal Arts Instructional Technology Services. You can find Into the Colaverse podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Thanks for listening and see you next time.